and welcome to Infra Black Archive. It's a new year, which means it's a new season, and this time, black and white with Patrick Troughton. But also, it's our first Patrick Troughton episode, which we've got in full. Yeah, we do. Because we're now looking at season five. Thank you, because I, <laughs> Did comple- <you> forget? <laughs> I completely forgot the season number. It's, it's season, season five, Tomb of the Cybermen. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say potentially, I know I keep saying this every time, potentially one of the most iconic Doctor Who episodes. Yes, this has a it has a reputation, this it, one, mainly because it's one of the few surviving Troughton ones that we actually have. And also its visual style is something which we still keep this day, because this is... If you think about all the Cybermen's stories since, essentially, particularly in Davis' era, they've all got him slicing through some metal film, mm. which is where that comes from. It's from this episode, which... Actually, do you know what? I actually didn't know that. Yeah. But that's all referenced. Yeah, it's all referenced to them coming out of their pods. Oh, that's... Yeah, no, I'm seeing it all now. I'm seeing it all because they come out through the... Like in Army of Ghosts when they come out, and it's through the... Bits of like the plastic sheet I, I can never remember the name of that sort of plastic dooring that isn't dooring at all. Yeah. So yeah, the, <sighs> it, it, it my, is my po- opinion of the Lord goes up even higher. It is potentially one of the most staying episodes. I can't think of a good word to describe it. It's probably the most episode most referred to episode yet. Yes, it's it, known. It was referred to. I think it was the Fifth Doctor. It referred to that episode, like with the style of the tomb and of that stuff. Mm. But they had real issues with it. They did. With, with doing it. Because this was one of the lost episodes until like 1991. So they had no way to reference what the original tomb looked like. Mm. Fortunately, though, now we can all... Because this is an episode that survives, not, not in parts, it's in full. So it, you've got the whole thing live... And thank God for that, because we've been watching animations for however long. We, we don't need to thank God. We need to thank... Rusty Davies. No. That's the same. No, we need to thank <laughs> a Hong Kong broadcaster who managed to accidentally keep these episodes and then gave them back to the BBC. That is fortunate, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, so that is why we've got this episode. It's a mistake which another broadcaster made. They accidentally kept something which they were meant to send back or destroy. Mm. And that's why we have it now. Yes, all all four parts. It's a four-parter. Uh, and like you've been saying, I mean, it does have its place as one of the most iconic kind of Doctor Who series. So it's a good place to start the new 2022. Yeah. yeah you feel different? You... Oh, yeah. It's been a good few weeks. I feel re-energised. 2022 mm. has brought me good f- things, I'm yeah. guessing. You're guessing. <laughs> 2022 has brought me bad things. Sorry, I'm just doing both. Just so I can, just, yeah, so in the edit. I, I can change and re edit. Because if you, if you haven't re- realised yet, we're doing this very much in advance. It's, uh, yeah, it's the 4th of December. <laughs> yeah, it's 4th of December 2021. So, Christmas is but a glint in our eyes. So for all we know, Australia could have been completely blown up along with Canada. and We, we might just, also be dead. And we just wouldn't know. It's quite amazing, isn't it, time travel? It is. You do have to wonder when you start recording podcasts and advice. You know, if something really bad happens, then it might be one of like the last surviving relics of you know the world gone by. Yeah. Sorry, we're also recording this blind because normally I monitor all of our audio. So if there's any bizarre audio issues, that is why. Blame Owen. 
Always blame Owen. <laughs> so, shall we, shall we get started diving into this? Uh, so, the beginning of season five, which means not only are we reintroducing the Cybermen in some way, there's also a new producer on yep. this episode, which is worth talking about. And we have a new companion to talk about as well in full, because this is the first time we see her in the TARDIS on a thing. Yeah, because this this episode starts off how we left off the evil of the Daleks. We've, mm. we've got Victoria. We're introducing her to the land of the TARDIS. Yeah, because the two in the Cybermen was originally intended... Uh, you probably know this because you do way more research than I do. Uh, but it was originally intended to be the end of season four. Oh, okay. Uh, and so much so that they actually had a next week teaser recorded to go on the end of Evil of the Daleks for this episode. But then, for various production reasons, they decided to move it back. That makes sense because it's such a bizarre and jarring experience going from... Just going straight into the season of, Oh, look, Victoria, this is for TARDIS. Mm. It's such a weird way of doing it compared to just going... So, Victoria, you're ready for a new adventure and just kicking off like yeah, that? Yeah, like there is no break because it, there was never intended to be a break. It, is, it was always intended to yeah. be the follow-on. So, production-wise, and then we'll get into characters, I suppose. Production-wise, this was produced by Peter Bryant. Okay. Uh, who eventually became the producer later in the series. And it was this basically was, intended as a trial run. This was essentially a trial run for him, wasn't it, I read? Yeah. Which, do you think he did a good job? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think... Well, I you know, I think this is a really strong episode. Yeah, it's... It's definitely continuing where season four took off. In mm, terms or at least the ones we've got of season four. Yeah, for what, in terms of story quality, it is very really good. solid. It is re- it's one of... It's, I'm going to have this argument with you in a moment. It's one of the most iconic episodes from this season for a reason. Mm. Do you think this, story-wise is potentially one of the most iconic episodes of Black and White Era. Yes. It definitely for Black and White Era. I think- mean, it's up there with things like, um, in terms of the iconography, I should say, not in terms of, say, what I think of the quality, but it's up there with, like, the Dalek Invasion of Earth and the Tenth Planet yeah. and all of the big episodes that people refer to out of Hartnell and Troughton, or at yeah. least, you know, uh, are black and white. Oh, no, Troughton is fully black and white, isn't he? We only go colour when Pertwee arrives. Yeah. Pertwee's yeah. our first colour. Yeah, Pertwee's the first colour because we sort of we leave the we leave Gallifrey in black and white. And we arrive on Earth in, in colour, basically it, discarded. So essentially, the Time Lords gave us colour telly. We have we have to thank the Time Lords for a lot, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Good old. <laughs> this is all Tectaean's fault, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Should say we are recording this before the last episode of Flux, which is tomorrow. That's a good point. What did you think about the Flux finale, James? <laughs> Should I record about five different takes, all of which are no? <laughs> I can't wait for this to turn into um, later on. You, you're just loving it next for the next episode, and, and you've just got the hero just go. No, to, I hate to it. To be fair, it has gone on that rhythm, hasn't it? Where it's gone like odd, even, odd, even. Yeah. So we're we're technically due a good episode. Yeah, technically, the end one should be leaving on a good high. The only issue I have is that I think I mentioned it last week, there's so many bloody loose threads. Like they're not going to close out all of them. I'm Not in an hour. No. I think they might... Why are we predicting this? <laughs> yeah, why are we doing that? You've already listened to us tell, tell you this. Yeah, a few weeks ago, probably. Yes, and you enjoyed it, we hope. God, it's weird recording in advance. Right. <laughs> what, what, what the hell was I saying? 
Team of the Cybermen is the same level of iconography as, say, the Dalek Invasion of Earth and 10th Planet. Uh, and for good reason, because it kind of... And I want to make this point with you later when we start talking about the plot, because I think it'll work better later. But I think it introduces a few facets that when Doctor Who came back in the modern era, they actually picked up on yeah. and really brought into the fore. Yeah. It's also... I think it's our first Cybermen story, which is actually original compared to... Yes, because I mean, like, we had the 10th Planet Moonbase. Which which I think we've both agreed are essentially the same story, just done slightly diff- to different different... Yes. Slightly different qualities. I still find it amazing that, that the 10th Planet and Moonbase were packed in that close to each other. Essentially back-to-back bar an episode. Like, imagine if this was in season four. You'd have had three Sidemen stories in one season. Yeah, like, I un- essentially the plan with Sidemen was to write out for Daleks, as we discussed in Evil for Daleks, mm. and then bring Sidemen back in sort of like the new Dalek kind of thing. But it does feel like they are going in too hard like this this is a good story for 10th flat was a good story but equally it does feel like they're just they've got for something just cramming it down your throat going, True. enjoy this story concept enjoy it enjoy it <laughs> you don't miss the daleks they never happened they're no. like the macro they don't exist exactly it does it does feel very much like that doesn't it <laughs> reset your minds yeah it's well actually this is the last surviving 60s sidemen story so it'll be a while before we see some real life side men again. So shall we talk about this story then in a bit more detail? Shall yes. We, shall we have a quick synopsis? We haven't been doing those recently. No, you haven't been. I, I think it. I think it's wise to bring him back. You know, new series, new you. Yeah. Well, old T- you. Particularly since there's a new one which isn't airing. I'm not going to go into as much detail as I used to. Yes. I'm just going to skim over sort of like the introduction. So we we yeah, get a little where, primer. We know where we are landing. So. The Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria land on a new planet. Telos. Telos. The home of the Cybermen. They find some people, some ex people trying to find the Tomb of the Cybermen. And they go in along and enjo- join in the ride as they try not to get electrocuted, shot, murdered, or converted. Or all of those at once. Will they get out alive? Almost certainly yes, because the Doctor needs to survive for have for thirty nine seasons <laughs> of this. <laughs> so we know what happened to the Doctor. We know which Jamie makes it towards makes it to the end of Patrick Troughton, and we know which Victoria makes it to the end of this season. So yes, they will make it out alive. Thank you for really bringing the sus- the suspense out of this yeah. narrative. That, that's this is one of the issues for me about watching old Doctor Who. Yes, I'm enjoying doing this, but it's still an issue. It's got no suspense that I know when they all die. <laughs> or yes. in the doctor's case, when they don't die. <laughs> you're just sort of reviewing the quality when you know they're going to... Because it won't hit you in the same way, so you sort of just have to review the quality of it in an objective way. Yeah. It's worse than Marvel films. We were discussing Marvel films. Cause we went to see Ten Rings a while ago. The issue with Marvel films mm. for me is that I don't care what Marvel film you give me, it always ends... The exact same way. Yeah, good person defeats bad person and moves it, on. In a bit more detail, they all they come together for a fight against good and evil. Good thinks they're going to win, but they just miss it mm. in the last possible moment. But they all regroup. They rethink it through in the last minute for the most unlikely circumstances. 
the character who's always seems a little bit shit to the side wins it for everyone. You just described the second and third act of every movie ever. Particularly Marvel films. But, oh, yeah, because everything, because it just follows the... Um... And so when when you get to that point in Marvel films, you just have to go, cool. People who are interested in this for some vague reason, um, if you ever want to know why Marvel movies are the way that they are, go and read Sid Field. You'll, you'll, it's like, you'll find everything out. Once you've read Sid Field, you can't watch movies in, in a fun way because you just realise that every single thing is following this train track. Yeah, there's a reason why I don't watch Marvel films, aside from Spider-Man. Yes, Spider-Man. I, was, I was going to ask you if you're excited for the Spider-Man because I'm quite excited for yeah. the Spider-Man. I've only ever gotten into a Spider-Man Marvel films. Mm. I've never ca- cared about Avengers. I've never cared about Iron Man. I've never cared about any of the other ones. Yeah, man, multiverses are so popular now. The issue is with multiverses is that they get so big to the point where you just can't be bothered to go watch them all. Yeah, I'm starting to feel that with Marvel because they've got the the Hawkeye TV thing is on now as well. Yeah, so... That's airing. And, like, I was watching the last Spider-Man film and I sat there going, I don't understand some of these references but equally, I can't be bothered to watch Avengers Endgame. I can't be bothered to watch all the ones pre-Avengers Endgame to know what all their references well, in the Endgame is going now, to be. Because it, it doesn't have any, like... Because Marvel has got so big, they assume that everybody is, like, into it. So it's so if you want to get into Marvel, it's as if you have to have, like, done your research before going in. Like, you've needed to watch the 25 movies and the five Disney Plus shows or the, the old Netflix ones that they did. Remember yeah. the Netflix ones that they did? Yeah, I, I'm just like, you know, I can't be bothered to do this. It's just a lot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a lot <laughs> says for people currently trying to watch Virtus Doctor Who. Doctor So, yeah. Now we, we enjoy this. We we, we 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 see the hypocrisy, don't worry. <laughs> so, we've been through the synopsis of things, character-wise, in this four-part episode where do you want to start should we start with a new new recruit victoria yes in my head i keep going to call her vicky but she really yeah, doesn't not like vicky it's definitely not vicky she doesn't like being called vic mm. so yes that was there's definitely that's a reference and that's part of the script yeah so it, like, don't go anywhere near there it i'm disappointed by the lack of stuff she had to do well, this has been the problem periodically on Who since we've started is female companions don't get a lot to do. They still haven't, apart from Barbara, I don't think any one of them has really worked in that way. The thing about Victoria in this for me is that she barely even gets given the chance to be a damsel in distress. Yeah, because in the first in the first part, she gets caught in this sarcophagus. Yeah, but then she's almost instantly let out. Mm-hmm. And then she's drugged later on, but she almost instantly comes around from that. Yes, like she does some standing up for herself. Yeah. It's like it's sort of, it's like the script is trying to like intend it that, that Victoria is sort of a, I'm not going to take nothing from anyone character. But the problem is the plot doesn't reflect yeah. what they're trying to do with her. Yeah, so if we get to the end point where I'm barely remembering any point where she tried to defend herself because it just didn't stand out in the script at all yeah it was because victoria isn't sort of in the main narrative in a way because they all go down this hatch and this is where all the cool cyber stuff's going on uh and in the meantime victoria's sort of up in the main section of the tomb 
and dealing with side stuff, it almost feels like. Mm. I've got a theory then. Do we reckon this script was written pre the writer knowing which Victoria would be in the picture? I believe so, yes, because there were there were quite a few changes that they made. Uh, but th- but like they're getting into later kind of changes. Yeah. Uh, but possibly because Be- it does feel like she has no impact on this story. She's just kind of there. Yeah, she's there to kind of deal with the side situation while the doctor. But that's been the issue, like with like Polly was similar, where it felt like Polly was always on like the side of the narrative. Like even when they did um, Moonbase. Yeah. Where Jamie right, and then he sees like the, the Phantom and and everything. Yeah. Polly's just kind of a glorified nurse for half that story. Even then, it is a terrible role for her to be in, but she's given a role. Mm. I don't think Victoria was given a role. Yeah, I mean, even even the most like the most respected reviews of this, the most positive reviews of this story do say that the Victoria is an inconsistent character. And this is even in the 60s. Yeah, she essentially isn't given anything to do. She essentially just goes where the Doctor isn't. Mm. That's the best way to describe it. However, there is one point which I did like with her. Which is? When the Doctor and her are having a conversation about grief. Yes, that's a good point. That was an amazing bit of human, human stuff in this big clunky story of sci-fi, which yeah. is a really nice way of putting grief. I almost forgot about that scene, but it's a really good sequence. So they were essentially sat, they got a little bit of peace, they've just trapped the Cybermen away, and the Doctor and Victoria sat there talking, because Victoria's dad has just died in the previous story. Mm. And the Doctor is explaining like, well, that's the thing, when I close my eyes and think really hard, they are there for me. And it is good memories, which I thought was just this perfect mm. way to describe grief. It's and also one of the closest we've ever got to any kind of origin. <laughs> yeah. And it felt, considering which Victoria doesn't have much to do in this story, it's a really nice bit of human interaction for mm. them. And it also, what that does as like a secondary mechanism is it roots the character with with something that you can identify with which is helpful yeah and kind of it serves to uh, i'm trying to think of the right word for this it's nice to as we're saying bringing on for character but i think too often we bring on for character and instantly forgot what that character went through in the previous story yeah and this one here it was very nicely done to bring victoria history into it and to make sure it is one continuous narrative but also not in a way which like marvel does where if you don't know that plot point yeah they just just, won't bring it back you 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 don't need to know that they save which which for which victoria's dad died very early on so the viewer instantly knows this Mm. and yeah i just think victoria through this episode essentially did nothing but that scene really did do it for me. But, yeah, because that scene's there, at least you have something to hold on to for, like, character perspective. Like I was saying before, you can identify with her yeah. on something that's pretty, well, universally relatable because we all go through grief eventually. So it gives me hope that when we watch a few future stories with Victoria that they might use her better because there's obviously something that they can do with her. Yeah. But, yeah, overall, not a great start, but, eh, hold out hope. I'd rather than build up a character than yeah. go 
do what they did with Polly, which is go in hard on her first episode. And then immediately and then, forget that she's there. And then just forget that she actually does have some useful quality which she mm. could bring to the team. Yes. Shall we talk about a companion that nearly always brings useful qualities to every episode that he's in? Oh, I love Jamie. Jamie is the best. He didn't really have a massive amount of character growth in this one. Not hugely. But it doesn't really matter because him for Doctor just are a continuous joy to be with. Mm. They're a brilliant... It is like watching something like Lethal Weapon with those two. They're just two buddies who who do have a bit of a bicker. You can tell which they are good friends off camera. Yeah. That their chemistry comes across so well. Yeah, it's a, it's a, just a great team dynamic. I mean, it had been while Jamie was being introduced in season four. And we've been lucky in a sense because a lot of the stories we've had with Jamie are some of the good ones, mm. which helps. But now, even though perhaps he's not having as much growth, because the character's already so good and yeah. so established, does it really matter? Because you've got a good character there. I think... I mean, you, you, you'll probably say if I'm wrong or right on this, but okay. my, my theory behind chemistry growth is that sense of you need to have that massive ramp up of character growth over their first few episodes. Then afterwards, you sort of slow it down a little bit. Mm. But you don't want to do what we had with William Hartnell, where you essentially have that massive ramp up, slow it down, but then you then just stall. Which I think is what yeah. they're going for with Jamie. They are still going for that slow. They've, they've done that initial ramping up. Now they're on that slow and steady course. Yeah. I think what, well, the best way, in my opinion... To grow a character across series, and please don't take this as Bible, because it is, it, you know, my word is not Bible. But my whole idea is that you should have layers of growth in a character, yeah. and you should focus on one aspect. So you don't want to you don't want to solve like all of a character's personal problems in your first series. You want to maybe solve one big one, yeah, so they can get over that one. But then, you know, they find out, okay, I've solved like how to trust people but I'm still not good at communicating. So, so yeah. this series, we're going to we're gonna teach them to communicate. And on oh, this series, we're going to teach them to stand up for themselves. Just, you know, you can focus on an individual aspect. Yeah. There's always something to grow. With, I think what they've done with Jamie is, he was already kind of grown at the start and they've just made him more competent. Yeah. And more knowledgeable. Aside from that, doing knots. Yes, aside from that. Oh, well, he'll learn. Um, perhaps that's his growth yeah. this season. <laughs> You're finally learning. Yeah. But going off of the fact which those two have such good chemistry, it enables them to do so much just fun, impromptu stuff mm. as they're recording, like they're hand-holding it at the beginning. Yeah, that's wonderful. Entirely unscripted. They didn't tell the director or anything. Yeah, because they because they knew that they couldn't retake it because they were on tight schedules. So they just sort of said, right, we'll do that then. Yeah. And also, I don't know if this is scripted or not, but I'd love the scene where they're in that room where they've got the side men uh, gun testing range essentially yes and which doctor, is a brilliant scene and the doctor goes now if anyone doesn't want to be in here now feel free to leave and jamie just turns to leave and <laughs> goes, no jamie you stay <laughs> yes not you <laughs> it's got i don't know if it was but it's got that feel of being slightly unscripted to it yes it, it, it's kind of I don't even want to say rough around the edges because that implies that things don't work as well as they should because they really do. It's like a controlled sense of freedom. Yeah, it, it's it got that sense of those two characters now know their characters so well which they can just go with the flow and just play around with it a bit yeah, more. Yeah, it is almost kind of... 
it's almost skirting with the idea of being comedic without it overcutting the drama yeah. of the episode. So it's a really nice balance yes. that those two bring. And then I think this is like a nice opportunity to segue on to Trout in any way. I want to say one last thing. One about, last thing and then we will, yeah. About Jamie. Is that he seems to believe everything out of a doctor's mouth, even though how stupidly unbelievable it is. Mm. Like at the end, there's a scene where the doctor's trying to blow up someone's ego to see how mad they are. Mm. And Jamie's sat there going, Doctor, no, why are you doing this? Why, why, why are you doing this? I'm sat there going, because it's obviously trying to test him somehow. Mm. Just give him a few moments. Like, Jamie, come on. Like, use your brain a little bit here. Yeah, I, I just, I like the fact that Jamie always seems ready to bicker with it because that was never a thing with the previous companions. Like, even with Barbara and Ian, who he liked, they would sometimes be like, okay, what are you doing? But it was never like in this sort of banterous, bickery way. Yeah. Whereas Jamie's more than happy to say, no, I think you're doing the wrong thing. Which I think does move us onto the doctor side of things mm. because this doctor doesn't tell unless he has to. Yes, he's, he's very more, cards to his uh, chest, isn't he? He's more than happy to just, just think of a plan and just go with it without telling Jamie, which mm. starts a lot of these bickering. Cause the doc, because no matter how obvious you could argue it is, the doctor doesn't say, Jamie, I'm going to, Jamie, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to direct him this way. He doesn't say that. He just mm. goes, Oi, Simon Man, that way. And he just does it, yeah. Which. But what that does sort of in the the consequence of that is that you always get this sense of not knowing what he's going to do which is really nice as a viewer because you don't ever have a preset expectation and also you don't know what his intentions are mm. because yes as a viewer you know he got from a to b eventually but you never know if he meant to get to b yeah, you, not, not, yeah, you're not sure why. It, it, it always there are always parts, especially seeing as we're after Evil of the Daleks, where the Doctor spends about half that episode testing Jamie. Yeah, basically, um, you're never quite sure what his relationships are to people, whether he enjoys this. So there's there's this air of mystery around him mm. that keeps him in- interesting and engaging because you never know what quite's going on in his head. Yeah, it's good. It puts you almost. Sorry, I'm going to one last point on this because I've just come up with it. It puts you in a place, like, as a viewer, like, with Jamie, which which is very clever because you're viewing the Doctor in this remote way because he is remote. I mean, yeah. we don't know what it's like to be a Time Lord, right? So to put it, to put you into that perspective is really useful and it's something that Davies copied when we went into the new series at a, maybe, like, a higher, more obvious way. But the mechanism works. Yeah. So what did you think about the Doctor's characters then, aside from those things? Is it, I wouldn't say it's going through the motions yet, but we have an established character again. It's the same sort of group which we're going with Jamie at this point, yeah. isn't it? The, the whole episode sort of felt like the boys are back. Yeah. Like that, that was the kind of energy to it. Is, you know, here we are again. It's yeah. like that Jeremy Corbyn. Hello, we're back and we're ready to do it all over again. Yes. Let's and the hope, side men as well. Let's hope, which this season does it all again. Better yeah. than Jeremy Corbyn's second election attempt. <laughs> well, hey, politics joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's how to make half our audience hate at me. It's nearly, it's nearly the two-year anniversary as we record this of uh, that fateful day. Ah, <sighs> uh, do you remember when um, anything other than the Tories had a chance? Uh, anyway, before yeah. we get into that, let's start going through um, an even more tense and high stakes narrative than an election yes 
the Cybermen, the Tomb of the Cybermen, the plot of this thing. Yes. So we arrive on Telos and we pretty quickly recognise that something is going on because we have this expedition party. Yes. Which is very um, Silence of the Library, I found. It's kind of similar to that where Mm. you've got a group of characters, there's a financier there who is sort of controlling things and pulling some strings. But not controlling things. It's it's a weird... Yeah, it's kind of strange. I'm not saying it's strange, I think it's unrealistic, but it's a very strange relationship to the person who's supposedly leading the expedition, but also have the main guy who funds you just around the corner. Yes, I mean, it makes sense because you would imagine if someone's financing, they'd want to go on it. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. It's, It's a realistic scenario, it makes sense. But... My God, that's an awkward relationship to have. Yeah, it's it's essentially like... It's almost like the whole Blue Origin stuff, Virgin Galactic, like with the, the big capitalist guys funding this space stuff so they can do it first. Yeah. So the expedition is funded by Kaftan, yeah. who is this kind of mysterious woman who is operating behind the scenes of the expedition. You've got these guys who are doing kind of the, the main handiwork, and then she's there with... Um, well, there's no easy way to say it. She has a manservant. Uh, it's Put your racism con- warning on. <laughs> Considering this is an episode directly after we already had a racism issue with a mute slave being big and strong, not doing anything and being rather mute. Yes, to have here's ne- another one. To have the next one also contain a black, basically mute, strong servant is... Ropey. My God, at least separate them out from episodic-wise. Now, I think <sighs> this one is done slightly better, but I also should say that there are production reasons for this because there was another plot for Tobeman, that's the name of the, the character, um, that didn't end up happening, which was that he was originally going to be deaf. Yeah, but... Even then... And, like, the hearing got... aid was going to be important, and then he would have been converted into a Cyberman through the hearing aid was, like, the plan. Yeah. But that didn't happen, and they did it a different way. Which is an interesting call forward, call back from the original, from the new Who Cyberman stuff. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yes, uh, I wonder if that is actually a reference uh, to the thing, the earpieces. Either way, my God, having a black person play a, a, essentially a dumb slave... Even even if he is mute, even it, if he if deaf, even particularly it, episode after episode, it is so questionable. Mm. Like at least last season, we could say, well, they had a good black character from the astronaut from the tenth planet. Yeah, they did. Is the thing? It's like the, the tenth, and they also had the moon base, which had like a fairly diverse set of people on the yeah. base, and you know they were all just treated like regular characters. But, and then you get these episodes, and then we just get these ones here, which. I'm sorry, but yes, I realise it's a different age. Yes, we should put that disclaimer but on. It's 1967. Come on. Like, at least separate them out if you're going to insist on doing it as a story basis. Yeah, and then building on that, the ending of his character is a little bit questionable. But we'll get into that when we get yeah. there. Uh, but we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that when we do. So, Expedition arrives and they get to a door in the chamber. It's like a big, big door with stuff on it. So they send um, one of the guys to open the hatch. Doesn't go particularly well. Oh, actually, sorry for interrupting you, but this just reminded me. It's our first bit of real-world footage outside a studio which has audio. Really? 
Yeah. Really? Think, it's like a bit four series. I mean, think about all the outside clips we've had since. Oh yeah, of course. Because yeah, you've got like there's like on location of Post Office Tower and the stuff in Trafalgar Square. But yeah, that's all silent. But that's all science. All they use clever. It's like trick- foley to put it on the. All they post. use clever trickery to have it, where like we see the TARDIS landing, but then we then cut to a studio which has the backdrop on them, mm. which is what they use in the War Machine. But this is our first time with on set audio recording. There might have been some of the animated ones which we don't know about. Awesome. It's the first time we've got, seen it. Got it's the first time we've seen it, which is quite nice. Sorry, you continue. You should remind me of that point. Oh, no, that's that's completely fair enough. So, yes, um, immediately there's this fellow opens the doors, gets electrocuted and dies. He's got to be up there with one of the best characters in Doctor Who history. I mean, if this was... If we were still looking at up and go cards, it almost certainly would have been yours. We get introduced to a character who it's, then yeah, dies. Yeah, it's an interesting character who immediately dies. It's a best death contender for end of season what happened already. Yeah. Like, it's so obvious, like, don't touch the big metal door, it's probably booby-trapped. And yes, the big metal door is booby-trapped. But don't worry, Doctor arrives to see death already. I mean, you get to the point where it's like, do, do, have we just sort of abandoned the idea that the Doctor arrives and then trouble happens? It's just the Doctor arrives and trouble is already happening. Like, yeah, yeah, death, hello. Yeah, and then there's kind of like, they make this attempt to insinuate which the Doctor had some role in this, but it feels yeah. like there is some animosity towards him but mostly by people who've already got alternative motives yes because obviously they're doing their own thing but it does feel like he's trusted too quickly um yes although that is a change from because we've had so many episodes especially the sidemen ones where doctor arrives and is mistrusted for like half the thing yeah but then moving on to how he solves that door problem he essentially just puts a gizmo on there and goes well hey we've done it now (laughs) yeah and we've broken into the cyber tomb I think it's important to say, obviously, the Cybermen have to be revived because in this story, the Cybermen have been dead now for many centuries. Yeah. I think five centuries? Yeah, five, five centuries, yeah. 5,000 years, they say? 500. 100 years. Centuries, 100 years. I think they said 5,000. If they said five millennia, then yeah, but I think they definitely say like 500 years. Oh, okay. Look, I have it on Wikipedia as five centuries. Okay. Is what I've got. Okay. But, but yeah, we go. Uh, so yeah, they go into the chamber... And uh, there's some really interesting things about... This is more your wheelhouse, but it's open sort of by logic-based code, which must have made you go, oh, this is this is completely in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I did understand some of what they were saying. Did it make sense to you? Or was it just, oh, yeah, they said oh, logic, and then you just see random buttons get moved? I mean, yes, there were random buttons which got moved. <laughs> I thought so. But f- from what I could tell, the logic behind how they got there did make sense at least they were using keywords which are real yeah like or gates are actual things mm. do you know how an or gate works absolutely not no absolutely not i have no understanding of programming i really should um so i don't like looking at all gates in programming i, I prefer looking at gate gates as an electronical function because that's yeah. how i learned them so if you imagine a a small thing which has got two inputs and one output mm Okay. So an OR gate works if one of these inputs gets power, it will output power. Mm. But then you then have... So essentially, if input A is getting power, you'll get an output. If input B has power, you'll get an output. If both of them have input, you'll get output. This is compared to an AND gate, Mm. where you only get power if both of them, both inputs, 
are active. Which is basically what they called and because it requires an and. Yeah. So okay, that's bit, ah, bit, bit of logic for you. That's a logic test. Yeah, it, it, logic is surprisingly easy when you start. Mm. It's, it's weird because I almost have like an engineer mindset for like narrative and things like yeah. that, but I've just never applied it to actual. Yeah. <laughs> like there are some more confusing ones. Oh, I'm sure there are. Like XOR and NAND and all those things. But yeah, I've come. heard of them vaguely. But... NAND essentially, if you hit got an, a logic gate which starts from N. Mm. it will output the reverse of what the original one would do. Yeah, because obviously N is kind of standing for no in this case. Stand for not. Not, got, okay. got a not gate, which is one input, one output, and the output will do the opposite whatever mm. the input is doing. Yeah. So if, say, input's getting power, output will give you no, no power. No power, and vice versa. Yeah. So if you've got a nor gate, it would do the opposite of a nor gate. So yeah, because uh, nor it's a nor b. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. There's cool. Little quick, programming. Quick, quick bit of logic. Isn't that fun, listeners? <laughs> now into more who stuff. Victoria gets trapped in a sarcophagus. Yeah. So for they, like five seconds. They they split up because they're basically like just exploring um, all the tomb stuff and all the things that the Cybermen have left behind, effectively. Yeah. Which they figure out oddly quickly. Although I guess it's the Doctor, so fine. But I think it's also a case of this. They do figure out rather quickly, but also they were expecting it to be there. Yeah. So they must have had some idea... Of what was going to happen. Of, of what was in front of them. When the Doctor explains the whole the logic in the all gates, you know, the pe- the um, Klee gets it quite quickly. Yeah. Which makes sense, obviously, for later on. It's quite a nice script touch, actually. Mm-hmm. While this is happening, uh, Jamie and another member of the expedition go into a room with, like, a big control panel... Yeah. And they turn on what is essentially a hypnosis wall. Is that hypnosis wall actually discussed about why it exists? Not really. Because, like... It just I, kind of is there. I, I get it's a testing... It's Essentially, that room is built to be, like, a testing room for weapons. Weaponry. Yes. But then, why in a testing room for weaponry would you require... Which has a hypnosis wall. ...require humans to be hypno- hypnotised? Cool it, effect, isn't it? Like, it doesn't actually make any narrative sense. Like, it's no, never not mentioned at all, but about it's cool. why it exists. No, it, it still ends up being kind of cool. They're, it's mainly Jamie and this guy who I've just looked up the name of, because I don't want to get them wrong this time. There's quite a few of them to remember. Is Hayden. Uh, they're there. And then they put in a combination in the panel. And then all of a sudden, the really cool, and this is, by the way, really damn well written, and I want to talk about this, this cool cliffhanger happens where Cyberman comes out and Hayden is shot dead and you're like oh god it's a living breathing side man here we go but actually the solution for this is really clever because they've they've created a system whereby the the side men you see you think that's done the killing is actually basically, basically like a crash test dummy I for the weapon i feel that this scene would have done better if they actually put a human inside that soup because it's so obviously disribbled Mm. even before the cliffhanger reveal, which is a fake Cyberman. Like, I noticed it straight away. I feel Mm. like if they had put, like, a proper dummy in there or a proper human and just had a human be in there being still... Yeah. That cliffhanger would have been a lot better. Yeah, I I reckon so. What I do like about it, though, is the way it's visually done because 
um, it, they use really well the concept of intellectual editing. Uh, film school fun. Uh, intellectual editing created by Russians, Sergei Eisenstein, who did Battleship Potemkin and things like that. Uh, whole idea is by editing certain things together, you can imply things through the transition. And this is what they do here. They do the shot of the Simon and the shot of Hayden, but they don't show you the back, which yeah. is actually where the weapon is. So it's a clever bit of misdirection from the visual side to make you think one thing has I happened. I think they... I could be wrong, but I think they did show you for for weapon, but only for a second. Yeah, they give you just enough to to sort of work it out, but it's but it's obscured, and yeah. they're kind of leading you in the wrong direction. It's quite cleverly done. Yeah. Uh, so you get this really cool. It's almost like a it's like a big puzzle sort yeah. of thing that happens. Uh, so that's a really cool way to go into the second episode. Really decent cliffhanger. Uh, and then we kind of get into the whole aspect of two which is where they find the hatch and they go and find all the the hibernating side men yes who are just sort of frozen in time biding their time waiting waiting for some idiot humans <laughs> quite a clever strategy to be honest they realized human capacity not, for archaeology was incredible it's not stupid humans it's hu- clever humans who've got a stupid ego yes that's a better way to describe that, it actually that's it because they put sort of like their entire all of these traps which they've essentially built are essentially intelligence traps or intelligence puzzles to make sure which someone clever enough to go down there. But they also realised, which a lot of truly clever people, thinking, say, like levels of Elon Musk, mm. also have this incredible ego. Well, yeah, when you have power, you inevitably get a complex. It's very, very difficult uh, this has always been a nice point in general who not even just this episode but it's always been if a character has power they probably shouldn't have it yeah and you go into the aspects of well how does power corrupt somebody and make them greedy and, and egotistical and narcissistic and and the perfect example of this and a great segue is uh, the whole twist of this narrative which is Klieg oh Klieg uh, oh and his yawning shows you how exciting this Klieg thing was no, I'm yawning because you decided it should be a fun idea to do this at nine o'clock in the morning. I had other things. We could have done this Sunday, but you decided to do an interview, so. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so Klieg, Klieg effectively twists the group across. What he does is even though two members of the dead and the captain, uh, Hopper, we haven't actually met yet, but he's kind of leading the thing yeah. from a discipline standpoint. He, he's the guy who's in charge of a spaceship. And yeah, the problem with the spaceship, it's been tampered with. They can't leave. So it's nice that it's not the TARDIS that gets tampered with for once. It does bring around the question of why doesn't the Doctor just leave? Oh, you know, something he, about he, heroism he, and nobility. Like he in, always insists on staying there to see it all out. But he just yeah, he's there like, ah, like, oh, you know, we're here now. He just kind of sat there going, like, why? Like, obviously, he needs to be there to stop the plan. Mm. But also... He's always had this kind of... There's always been a sense in Doctor Who that there's like an ability complex where the moment he realises there's a threat, he has to stop the entire threat, even though it never works. Yeah. Because he never fully kills. That's been the whole thing. You never you never kill the Daleks. You never kill the Cybermen. Yes. Particularly this one here, which I will talk about later. Yes, we'll talk about that later. So, Klieg betrays them because he is a member of a of basically a secret society. So is Kaftan, the funder of this whole thing. Yeah. So behind the strings, this is all a ploy by the Brotherhood of Logicians. Yay. What do you think of the Brotherhood of Logicians as a concept? Scarily close to magicians. (laughs) 
I've Twat rather, magicians. I'd rather magicians try to rule for Brotherhood of magician. That would have been a different if Klieg was just like a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> just Harry Potter arrives in Tomb of the Cybermen and he's like, I'll sort this. Starts whacking out stunning spells. Yeah, but then, then he he essentially tricks, he essentially forces everyone to op- reactivate the Cybermen. Yes, because the, the plot, the plan essentially is that the Cybermen have power yeah. that they would like to have and that Klieg believes in his great big I'm so smart narcissism thing yeah. that because he has reanimated the Cybermen, the Cybermen will sort of be indebted to them and yeah. they'll help them, which is stupid before we realise it's stupid. It's stupid because we, the audience, know how the Cybermen work. Yes. You can definitely see how in his head... It would work. Here's the question, though, and this is a little bit of script questioning for you, which I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Is that a good thing that we know that that's stupid? Because usually that's kind of a no-no. But I think it works. I I think it does work, but they need to be careful of how often they do that. Exactly, because otherwise, yeah. I think this is the issue which we had with the moon base and the 10th planet, because they happen essentially back to back, mm. we all knew how it would play out. Yeah. Which I think is fine, but you need to be careful and make sure you don't do it too much. Because exactly. Because it gets too obvious. I think what, what doing that does well is it plays on the it plays on our expectations in the inverse. Yeah. Because we already know how the Cybermen work, we can kind of laugh at Klieg in a way. Because there's always that comedy of like, you know, people who think they're smart, you kind of want them to be undercut and to look a bit stupid. And because we know that that's a stupid plan, we already get to be like, well, this guy's ego is off the charts. So you understand why he's a bit of a dick, basically. But I I think this does work. But I also think it might have worked better if it was an unknown threat. Mm, Maybe. Because then you could sort of like, you'd be going with him a bit more... And when they don't work with him, it would have been a bit more of a dramatic... Yeah. See, that would work if Klee was your main character. Yeah. And you were doing it like that. Like, that's exactly how you'd do it. But with it being the Doctor and everything, and with it being remote to that, I think it kind of works to do it in a way that's almost ironic, because that's... The idea of an audience member knowing more than the character is inherently ironic. Yeah. Because you get like, oh, that doesn't go well. And you're kind of waiting for the car crash to happen. And that's what happens here. Klieg reanimates the Cybermen. uh, And the Cybermen basically tell him, uh, you idiot. (laughs) Which is, I think, arguably one of the most iconic scenes of Doctor Who is Mm. those Cybermen coming out of their tombs. Yeah, it's phenomenal. All done in one take them coming out they built this massive set mm. for some reason in my head i remembered them all being standing up and coming out but of, that but no, was they wrong. kind of come out of this cradled position and it's almost better yeah than it, you imagine it yeah and they break through they clamp their hands together they break through for plastic sheeting which had been keeping them locked away which is brilliantly referred to as you've mentioned later on in the, the modern who yeah it's kind of got this um because this came out before like 2001 Space Odyssey so I know this doesn't hold up but it is a little bit like Dawn of Manny the way the way they arrive and and come to life almost so yeah. that's quite interesting yeah I think it is amazingly done visually the music the ambient music they have for the Cybermen at this point is 
really good. I think the, actually a general point. This I think the production values of this episode are probably the strongest we've had. Yeah, it, in a who episode that we've watched so far out of the classics. I I feel like we could have had potentially had this production value last season. We just don't know it. Yeah, but the values of this are yeah. really very decent like, for the, for the era as well. It comes back to what we've been saying throughout this entire thing. Now Patrick Troughton's come back in. Mm. Like, yes, you've, we've got a new Doctor and all of this stuff here. But what the hell happened between season three and four? It's just a huge jump in value. Because we were watching... We did Galaxy 4 recently, which is the new animation yeah. they've put out. And there's a there's an existing episode of that. And you know that bit where they're in... Um, I can't remember their names already. You know, the slug species. Yeah. And they're in there and they're sort of dealing with that and the Chumleys. And it, it just so obviously achingly looks like a set the yeah. whole time. I'd like... I guess there's got new doctors and all that stuff, which obviously would change the writing style and the style of how the characters are done. But even outside of that, like how the sets are built, how the side characters are all made, how the how the monsters act, they've all had such a dramatic improvement. Mm. Particularly the way this episode structured it, it makes you feel really enclosed. In the tomb. So you're kind of stuck with these characters and you have to then question their motivations because who can you trust? And we figure out, obviously, you can't trust everybody. Yeah. Uh, particularly Klieg. And Klieg is like, so reanimates them. He's like, okay, who do I speak to to gain your alliance? And yeah. they say, well, you are speaking to one of the most iconic Cybermen characters ever. The controller. The controller gets introduced in this in this episode, and goodness me, does the cyber controller have an impact? Yeah, because he has this sort of similar introduction, and they form like a guard of honor for him, and it's really cool. Yeah, he's, he doesn't come out of plastic. He's got essentially his own hatch. Yeah, he he's still opens the door, of... and he's like, "You rang." Yeah, it, it, I think one point we should say that obviously we've done Evil of the Daleks, where they introduce the Dalek Emperor, so it's a bit samey, but they're both still cool in their own I... way. I don't know. You don't know? I, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. Because I think the Dalek Emperor was a massive amping up of this is our leader. Mm. Whereas this one here was more, look, our leader is here. Yeah, and then, that's true. And then we then have the leader as being a lot more of an active role. Because mm. if we think about the the, the Dalek Emperor, we essentially get introduced to him. He barked orders. Yeah, he's very... Then, um, then that's it. He's very General Melchert. Yeah, compared to this the Simon entrance of he then takes on the active role of being the leader. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to show you how it's done. So I don't 100% agree with you there. Which I th it, no, I think it, that's a really good point. It copies them each other i don't think they do i think they're separate enough because at the end of the day there's only so many ways you can introduce the leader of supposedly exactly. an all-powerful yeah. race i'm just happy that they came up with the name that they did because cyber controller just sounds good yeah it just sounds sweet so that's yeah. that's nice uh yeah Klieg eventually gets shown up and then we're in a we're in a chase sequence simon want to start converting the humans not good uh, Doctor and JD get out and engineer a quick escape. They get out of the hatch and they just about manage to close the hatch on the side men. It's this really kind of exciting chase sequence. Yeah, but uh, 
they accidentally leave someone behind. Yes, they do leave somebody behind and they have to go back. Yeah. But that's someone behind. Are you looking for his name? Because I don't remember it. Yes, I am. Um, (laughs) Technical difficulties, yeah. But but our friend who gets left behind is caught and... Tobeman, it's Tobeman. Tobeman gets our first on-camera conversion, I think. Yes. Well, almost conversion. Like his hand gets done, then he kind of just give up. Yes. Uh, and th- Yeah, and they're sorting that out. Meanwhile, while Tobin's getting converted, we should talk about... Because it's not just the cyber controller who gets introduced in this episode. There's another cyber thing. The Cybermat. Goodness me. Do, do you think this works? Because they try to make them seem really fierce, but they kind of just like the little cleaning bots and Wally. It doesn't I, really work for me. I think the issue is, is that I think they could have worked, but it's essentially a case of... Like Roombas. Not even that. Little they, Roombas. They, it's a case of show, telling, not showing. Mm. They, they tell us, oh no, it's for Cybermats. They're a massive threat. And we just see like a little thing. just goes, but, <laughs> but at no point... Do they become a threat? Mm. I mean, they do end up... There's like a swarm of them. But even then, like... But they're all so small. They're all so tiny, and you're just thinking to yourself, couldn't they just go stamp on them? Yeah, like you could kick one of those. Like, if if they had an extra per- person there, like someone from a ship just runs in and goes, we're, we're halfway through running the ship, and they launched themselves at him and sort of like smothered him... Mm then at least then we're getting some idea of their threat. Yeah. But essentially all we do, all we see is get Simon Matt jump up at, at the character and then she kind of faints for five seconds. Yeah, it's, it's which, a little bit ridiculous. Which, I mean, I think the Simon Matt's could work, mm. but they make no effort. Yeah, it's a good concept, but it isn't executed well. Because what you could have done is in the first episode, you could introduce one and it does something that's objectively surprising. You yeah. could have them go, oh, what, what, what's the threat of that? It's just a small little thing. And then it does something really freakishly big. And you're like, okay, obviously not. And at that point, then you know to, if a side map comes that they could mess you up. Like we're, we're, you mentioned earlier with the Chibis. Mm. Like, you mean the Chumleys? Chumleys, yeah. From Galaxy 4 again. Yeah. But they, we see them do things because they look stupid. But yeah. then we're instantly shown them vaporising a flower. Yeah, so we know that they're serious. So we know which they're an instant threat. But with the Cybermats, we essentially just go, oh, look, it's a Cybermat. They're bad. Mm. Be afraid without actually being given any reason to be. And they do just kind of look like these cute little things. It doesn't really hold up. No. It's one I, of the few places where the production values don't match up. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think I see where they're going, but they need. Sorry. <laughs> I can see where they were going, but they needed more work because it's just a case of. Oh, look. New thing. Enjoy. Yeah. Which. And also, the fact which in every scene they seem to be a different size. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. They just don't really hold up. Anyway, there's a swarm of them attack at the end of the, sort of around third episode end, and Doctor solves that with electrical currents. But don't worry because the Brotherhood of Logicians will not be stopped. They open the damn hatch again. Yeah, 
And I think that cable solidifies how they make it seem, make them seem not a threat, because mm. that is solved so quickly and so easily. Yes. It basically, and, they're just nuisances at best. If you think which that scene wasn't in there at all, mm. it'd make no difference. Yeah, not really. So I think that's my issue. I think, as I was saying, if they had someone walk in into an extra from the ship or something, walk in yeah, on set like thinking which which oh everything's gonna be fine, I'm gonna go in there and tell them we're halfway done fixing the ship, and suddenly they launch at him, mm. then that's showing us oh my god, they are actually a threat. Yeah, you have to give. If you have a villainous character or an evil character, just show what they can do so that we know to fear them. It's yeah. simple ruling, but they just never do that with yeah. these. That's that Yeah. This has been a long monologue about why they're bad, so let's move on. Yes. Anyway, Tobin's been half converted. They go back down the hatch to catch Cleek and Kaftan, who are trying to sort this out. Sidemen murder Kaftan. And then, to- and then Toberman, by kind of a random, not very well explained thing, just sort of breaks from the Sideman spell. Which yeah. is not cool, I guess. They- Sidemen essentially kill his master, and he goes, No. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? When you, when you really think about it. And I'm just like, going, Tobin's stuff still, uh, still questionable. I- I feel like this episode is really good, but there's just so many elements of it which we just kind of have to assume. Yeah. And particularly as we go towards the end, I feel. Yeah. Like everything in it is really good. It's a really good episode. It's mm. really entertaining. But it's one of those episodes where when you start thinking it through a little bit yeah the core of it's good talking yeah and when we start talking through it like we do on this podcast i start noticing which wait we're just meant to kind of just assume or accept that yeah there's there's um shortcuts yeah i think they're not uh, shortcuts aren't bad necessarily but sometimes they just leave more out than they should yeah and you get, you feel like you've kind of just been taken quickly and you're rushing through. And I think four has a slight issue. It's a little rushing. Yeah. And it kind of just goes stuff, stuff, stuff. And that's one of the issues I think we've had with a lot of these part, like multi-parters, yeah. where they kind of set all these things up and then there is, oh, damn it, we don't have much time. We have to finish all this up. I now. think saying that, I think that is where potentially this novelization, the novelization for this one could be quite interesting. Mm, which I've not read. But. Yeah, but it could be quite interesting because they add in the elements like how he told him was actually deaf, mm. which potentially could make it better. Yeah, it gives more layering to a character yeah. that, that's kind of shockingly low on it. Anyway, Klee, still in this super near-maxable levels of narcissism now, tries to stop them uh, refreezing the Cybermen, and he gets murdered. <laughs> Maxwell does get a mention as well. Yes, Your he does. Your favourite guy. I, it's so nice to hear, it's probably the last time we ever will, but to have to know that Maxwell... Oh, to know that people know about Theodore Maxwell Still live now. in their hearts. He's in my heart, that's for sure. I now want to learn how to transmutate water, no, metal into gold. Yeah, but it will turn you into a human human Dalek. Kill, 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 kill. (laughs) And then we have a big fight scene at the end. Yeah. As always. As usual, big action scene. Dr. JV do their thing. It's a bit lethal weapony. You know, it's the boys solving the problem. But there is one last thing, because the controller despite the fact they saw all the rest of the side of the controller's still around and that creates its own problem because they're trying to keep the controller inside and locking the tomb forever yeah because they, they essentially need to lock the doors to stop because they want to re-electrocute the door so they, they lock the door and then electrocute the controller into submission into dying yes. but the only way they can do that 
is through a little bit of a sacrifice. And I want to talk about this a lot because there's a few things that this brings up. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to ask you not to talk about it a lot because we're already running over we'll time. Go, we'll go as quickly as I can through two points yep. and then we'll run it this. So yeah, Toberman, oh, blessed Toberman, um, gives himself up, basically, sacrifices yep. his his entire life yep. um, to let them out. Now, the first thing I think this brings up is that I think this is one of the few times early on that we've properly seen like a self-sacrifice by somebody. We've seen it before, but this felt yeah. really kind of played up. Yeah. And certainly in modern Who, this became a big thing, the idea of character sacrifice. Yeah. I feel like it's a character sacrifice that would have made more sense if they built on it a little bit more. Like if they showed... I think this is where the issue of him being such a dumb character comes into part. Because if they, if they had some scenes where he obviously hates his new cybernetics, we can kind of go Makes from, sense, it, yeah. We can kind of go... He just couldn't live with himself being like this. Yeah, the problem is there's just there's just not enough layering takes place yeah. in that character so that when the sacrifice happens, it doesn't give you an emotional impact. You just kind of see it and go, oh, well, that's an easy solution. Yeah. And that's all you think. You think about the script mechanic. You don't think about how the character is. And the second thing is it, is it just goes back to this whole question of... Because when I was doing a little bit of research for this episode, the whole uh, racism aspect does come up with yeah. Tobin like quite a lot. And you can see why, even with the ending, it kind of does serve this whole master narrative, yeah. which I'm not the biggest fan of. It's one of those things where, again, it's a place and time and everything. But especially when you consider that they've done this before. I mean, they literally did an episode. I know Galaxy 4 was two seasons before, but which is about yeah. loving all people regardless of their looks. And then you get this whole thing. Yeah. So it just feels like it's a very inconsistent show at times with yeah. that. Which I think, which visually we had, which we've already mentioned today, with the we've got the astronaut in the tenth planet, and then we go straight to the mute dumb character in yeah, the Yeah, it's Dalek. just, and that's meant to be five years forward, five centuries forward in the future. Yeah. It, it's just kind of strange. Yeah, that those are the choices they make, but ah, oh well, you have to view these things in context. Yeah, and then that's the cyber controller gone, isn't it? He's died. Well, you think. Dun, dun, dun. He definitely doesn't come back. <laughs> no, not at all. It's almost the exact same ending that they do with uh, The Chase. Yeah. Was it The Chase? Or was know. it The Power of the Daleks? No, it's Power I of the Daleks. I don't know which one you're on about, so I can't You know, right at the end of Power of the Daleks when there's like a surviving yeah. Dalek. It's yeah. just kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, no, but the Cyber Controller does actually come back. Yes. Like the actual actor comes yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a seventh Doctor story. Yes. So, but we have a long way to go before we get to him. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll eventually we'll eventually push on, and that's it for Team of the Side Men. What you do notice is that we've barely mentioned Victoria since episode one. She's just not in the main narrative. No, she's with um because there's like this American sort of pilot in it as part of the team. Captain. Yeah, cap. Yeah, as captain. Um, he he has this proper. I was I was watching this with somebody who's lived in America for a while, and we were trying to like locate where they were. And they're probably like Iowan, like a Midwestern kind of. Yeah. They're almost trying to do William Shatner in Star Trek, so that's interesting. But yeah, yeah, Victoria's just stuck in that narrative, and they could have done so much more with her. But that is it. Yeah. So that is the end of this, our first full Troughton episode with no animation. Yeah. Did you did you like it then? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I'm fairly strong with it. I, I was surprised by the lack of shock it was going from New Who back to classic. Yeah, true, because obviously we've been doing Flux yeah. um, this whole time. 
yeah, it was a good episode, but I think it suffers from some of the similar problems that we get with Doctor Who, where as soon as you start looking at some of their choices, it becomes a lot assumption-based. Yeah, there are, there are some shortcuts with the script. There are some characters that needed more work. The plot is kind of straightforward at times. Like there's sort of there's mystery in the first part, but then it kind of abandons that in favour of a kind of a straight action narrative. Whether that's bad or not, you can judge. But they may have had more opportunities to do other things. Still a good episode, though. Yeah. So with that in mind, what do you rank it? Um, I'm going to give it a seven, but mm. I, I'm going to say it's quite a high seven. Yeah. It's a, it's a very solid... If you're looking to watch like a classic episode without any of the animation and you just want like the full thing, this is a pretty good starting yeah. point. It, it Cybermen, good doctor I, stuff. I'll good. probably go with the same as you. There's a reason why this is the iconic Troughton episode. Yeah. Even excluding the missing ones. There is a reason why. It's because it is very good, very well done. I just can't give it any higher because it forgets Victoria exists half the time. So there's so many assumptions. The side mats are just underdeveloped. Yeah. We've got the entire racism issue. There are too many flaws. There's too many issues there for me to be able to level up beyond the seven. But if you look at like just the core narrative of things and kind of the core things that make Doctor Who work, it works on those levels. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So we'll be back with, I think, the Ice Warriors. Yeah, which is another iconic one. Maybe. A Maybe. Or Snowman, depending if that comes out yeah, before us releasing. But because we're doing it in advance, we don't 100% know how all of these things will link together. But probably... You'll know at this point what we're doing. (laughs) Probably for Ice Warriors. I might edit in a quite quick end bit here just to say, next episode will be... (laughs) So, so feel free to catch us then. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch, tell us how wrong we are uh, or how right we are. You can get in touch at Black Archive Pod or you can email us blackarchivepod at gmail.com blackarchivepod's the Twitter handle yep. uh, as well so make sure you go on Twitter for that and not on like, Instagram or something because we're not on there yet uh, and of course just remember to subscribe if you like this wherever you're listening to this whether you're on Spotify uh, Apple Amazon all of the wonderful podcast platforms we're on we did get a wrapped which was which was exciting yeah, from Spotify that was nice that was fun I mean, it didn't tell you much no and also, massively out of days compared to when you're listening to this. Yes. So We've recorded about a full day of Black Archive content on there. It'll take you a while. Yeah. So anyway, thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a good evening or good afternoon, depending on when you're listening wherever, to this. Wherever and whenever you are. Goodbye. See you later.